It's good to see you all. We are continuing our, our series this morning in the story of the Bible. And uh, it's normally a five-part study that uh, has been really successful in the past of bringing a lot of people to Christ. And if you can learn how to tell this, this story, learn how to give this study, you can bring people to God and bring and save their souls through Jesus Christ. And so, um, as, as has been mentioned, this study covers the whole Bible, and it's broken into three main parts: the age of the age of Moses, the age of the fathers, where God spoke through the the fathers of the of the families, the age of Moses, uh, and. Uh, which talks about how God is promising this salvation, this Savior that's coming. And then the age of Christ, when that Savior came, and then through the rest of the Bible, uh, which ends in talking about how this Savior is coming back. And today we're going to finish this age of Moses that Bruce started last week. And it covers 1,500 years from the book of Exodus all the way through the end of the Old Testament. Now, there's no way we can cover that much material, obviously. But what we are going to do is mention some specific people and stories that show how people had a very clear choice to make, to choose to follow God or not, and what the consequences of that choice was in their life. And it shows how they were either blessed or cursed by that choice. Because at the end of this five-part series, you're going to ask the person to make a choice. And it's going to be important because that choice that they make could determine where they spend eternity. And so you want to make that choice as clear as possible to people so they will know the consequences of their decision. Now last week Bruce read Romans 11 and 22, which is therefore consider the goodness and severity of God. On those who fail severity, but toward you goodness, if you continue in his goodness. Otherwise, you also will be cut off. And when you begin this study, um, you can have them turn the paper. You usually have a printed outline of the study. And you have them turn it over and write a cross on the back. And at the top of that, you can have them write goodness and blessing on one side and severity and a curse on the other. And as you're going through this study, you can have them write down uh, the person that you just talked about and on which side that they fell. And I've already filled in some of them that we talked about last week. Now, Bruce last week talked about 
uh, Moses and he talked about them entering the land of Canaan, the promised land that God was giving them. And after Israel enters this land of Canaan, God set judges up before them to lead them. And sometimes these judges were good and led them well. Other times, the judges was bad and they were corrupt and they did not lead the people well. Well, Samuel was a good judge. And in 1 Samuel 8 and verse 1, it says, Now it came to pass that when Samuel was old, that he made his sons judges over Israel. And the name of the first one was Joel, and the name of the second, Abijah. And they were judges in Bathsheba. But his sons did not walk in his ways. They were turned aside after dishonest gain. They took bribes and perverted justice. So Samuel wanted his sons to lead Israel like he had. But they were corrupt, and they took bribes to give good judgments to people that paid them. And so it says uh, that Israel saw this, and they looked around, and they, they saw that no one else had judges. Everybody else had kings. And so they wanted to be like the other nations and have kings also because they thought it would be better for them. And they just wanted to be like other people. But you've got to be careful about wanting to be like other people because a lot of times you don't know the problems that they're having because you're seeing from the outside. And uh, Samuel warned them he said, it's not going to be good for you if you have a king. He says, this king is going to take your sons and daughters and, he's going to, and they're going to work for him. They're going to be his slaves. And he said, this king is going to take the best of what you have, your land and your property and your possessions, and he's going to tax you heavily. Are you sure you want this? In 1 Samuel 8 and verse 19, it says, Nevertheless, the people refused to obey the voice of Samuel. And they said, No, but we will have a king over us, that we may be like the other nations. You ever wanted something so bad, and you knew it was going to be bad for you. You knew this wasn't going to turn out well for you, and you did it anyway. Well, that's what happened to Israel. That was the choice that Israel made. Now, apparently Samuel was feeling kind of dejected over this. Because God told him, Samuel, they haven't rejected you. They've rejected me. So God gives Israel a king. And his name is Saul. And God had told Israel, when they entered the land of Canaan, I want you to utterly destroy the Canaanites. Wipe them off the face of the earth. You kill all the men, women, children, animals, everything. And it, because if you don't, 
you don't do this, the ones that remain are going to turn your heart away from God. They're going to take you away from me if you don't utterly remove them all. And so Saul gathered an army and began to do this. And he wiped the Philistines out of Canaan. They were all gone. And then God sent him against the Amalekites. And in 1 Samuel 15 and verse 3, it says, Now go and attack Amalek and utterly destroy all that they have. And do not spare them, but kill both man, woman, infant, and nursing child, ox and sheep and camel and donkey. Destroy it all. And so Saul went out to do that, and he, and he went against the Amorites, and he killed most of them. But he spared their king. And a lot of their animals. And a lot of their treasure. Was that what God told him to do? No, it wasn't. So God sent his prophet Samuel to go and confront Saul about this. And as he approached Saul, Saul came out to him just as proud as he could be because he did what God told him to do. And he was proud of it. And he was bragging about it. And he said in Samuel, 1 Samuel 15 and 13, and Saul said to him, Blessed are you of the Lord. I have performed the commandment of the Lord. Saul takes credit for the whole thing. And uh, however, behind him were all these animals making this huge commotion. And so Samuel says to him, What then is this bleeding of the sheep in my ears and the lowing of the oxen which I hear? And after he says that, I think Saul might have saw where he was going with this. But maybe he didn't really do what God told him to do. And so he started backing away. And now he's saying, well, actually it was the people. The people are the ones that took the animals. They took the treasure. They did all of this. And Saul said, they have brought them from the Amalekites, for the people spared the best of their sheep and oxen to sacrifice to the Lord your God. And the rest were utterly destroyed. But Samuel, Samuel wasn't having this. And so he said, when you were little in your, in your eyes, were you not the head of the tribes of Israel? And did not the Lord anoint you king over Israel? Now the Lord sent you on a mission and said, Go and utterly destroy the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they are consumed. Why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord? Why did you swoop down on the spoil and do evil in the sight of the Lord? Samuel reminded Saul 
that it was his responsibility to do what God said. This was his responsibility. So in 1 Samuel 15 and 20, it said, Saul said to Samuel, but I have obeyed the voice of the Lord and gone on the mission on which the Lord sent me. And I brought back Agag, king of Amalek. I have utterly destroyed the Amalekites. Saul said, well, I did utterly destroy the Amalekite people. I spared the king. You spared the king, Saul? First Samuel 15 and 21 says, but the people took the plunder. The sheep, the oxen, the best of the things which you should, should have been utterly destroyed to sacrifice to the Lord your God in Gilgal. I did it for you. I did it for God. They did it for him. It's like a child who really wants a cookie. And he wants that cookie so bad, and his mom says, no, you can't have a cookie. You have to wait until your supper. So he sneaks into the kitchen, and he goes in the cookie jar, and he grabs the cookie. And as he turns around, he sees his mom standing there. And the kid thinks he's smart. And so he says, I was getting this for you, Mom. I was just getting it for you. That's why. Would you buy that? Would you buy that? Do you think God buys it from us? We, we say we're doing it for him, but we're doing it for us. He knows. He knows. Saul. Saul wasn't fooling anybody. But even if it were true, even if they were doing that for God, look what it says. So Samuel says to him, Has the Lord as great a delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to heed than the fight of the lambs. To obey, to obey God is better than sacrificing to God. For rebellion is the sin of witchcraft, and stubbornness is the iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, Saul, he also has rejected you from being king. And Solomon would eventually have to step down as king. And so then we'd have them turn over the paper and you would write down, have them write down on which side you would put King Saul. And he would be over here.
So God found another king to lead Israel. A young man living in Bethlehem. A man that God said was after his own heart. First Samuel 16, verse 1, it says, Now the Lord said to Samuel, I am sending you to Jesse, the Bethlehemite. For I have provided myself a king among his sons. So, when Samuel gets to Jesse's place, he just assumes that God would pick the biggest and the strongest among his sons to lead Israel as their next king. In 1 Samuel 16 and verse 7, it says, But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look at his appearance or at his physical stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord does not see as man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. And so Jesse presented each of his sons to Samuel, and God refused all of them. And at the end, Samuel says, well, do you have any other sons? Is this it? And he says, well, there's the young one. He's out taking care of the sheep. Samuel said, bring him in. So he did, and God said, he's the one. That's him. His name is David. And David had already proven his faith to God many times, even as a young age. And now, at this time, the Philistines that were in other nations had returned to the land of Canaan. And they were harassing the Israelite people once again. And their champion was this giant of a man named Goliath. And every day, Goliath would go out to this hill and he would shout down to the armies of Israel and mock them. How pathetic they were and mock the God that they served. And he did this day after day after day. But he was so huge and strong that everybody was afraid of him. And no one wanted to go and attack this Goliath giant, and so no one would. Well, his brothers were there at the camp, and so Jesse sent young David with some food to go and give to his brothers. And as David approaches the camp, he sees and hears this giant just mocking them and their God. It says in 1 Samuel 17 and 10, And the Philistines said, I defy the armies of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. When Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. And so David says to the soldiers there, Who is this Philistine that defies the armies of the living God? First Samuel 17 and verse 32. Then David said to Saul, Let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight this Philistine. So David approaches this giant of a man with armor. 
And it says he chose for himself five smooth stones from the brook. And he put them in a shepherd's bag and in a pouch which he had and his sling was in his hand. And he drew near the Philistine. And then David said to the Philistine, You come at me with a sword and a spear of the javelin. But I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defiled. And then David put his hand in his bag and took out a stone. And he slung it and struck the Philistine in his forehead so that the stone sank into his forehead and he fell on his face to the earth. So who killed Goliath? God killed Goliath. David totally trusted God. He trusted God to save them. And God would make him king. It may not always make sense what God tells us to do. But the power and the ability is not in us. It's in God. So we have to have faith. Enough faith in him and what he says to do to just do what he says. Just do what he says. So now we turn over the paper and where would we put David here on this chart? Well, he goes over here, doesn't he? A man after God's own heart. In the book of First Chronicles, we read about another man who had a choice to make. And that choice changed his life. The Ark of the Covenant was really important to Israel. It was considered the throne and presence of God among them. And one day, when they were fighting the Philistines, the Philistines stole the Ark of the Covenant, carried it away. And when David became king, he really wanted to get this back. He wanted to return the Ark of the Covenant to Jerusalem, where, where it belongs. And so he assembled some people and they went to get it. But the thing is, it had been passed around from place to place to place, and finally it just ended up in some guy's barn. And so they went to return it. And it says in 1 Chronicles 13 and 7, so they carried the ark of God on a new cart from the house of Abinadab. And Uzzah and Acho drove the cart. And when they came to children's threshing floor, Uzzah put out his hand to hold the ark for the oxen stumbled. Then the anger of the Lord was aroused against Uzzah, and he struck him because he put his hand on the ark, and he died there before God. 
So at this time, everyone was asking why. Why did God do this? Why did he kill Uzzah? Who was just trying to save the ark. Well, David knew why. King David knew exactly why he was killed. And sadly, he told the people, and the Lord our God broke out against us because we did not consult him about the proper order. See, God had instructed them in the law of Moses very clearly on how they were supposed to transport the ark. He was very specific about that. And he told them no one was to touch it but the priests. Now, was their motive good? Yes, they were trying to do something good. Were they seeking God? Yes, they were seeking God. And everyone agreed that this was the right thing to do. This was a righteous thing they were doing. But you see, they didn't know. They didn't know what God had told them to do. Because they had quit reading the Word of God. You see. They were no longer reading God's Word. So they didn't even know what He had told them to do exactly. They disobeyed Him. And as it died, brethren, we must consider both the goodness and the severity of God. He is good. He is so incredibly good. But he means what he says. He means what he says. So why don't we put Ezra on the chart? We have to put him over here, don't we? After David dies, his son Solomon becomes king of Israel. The Bible says that Solomon was the wisest man that ever lived. God made him the richest and most powerful man as well. And with all of his money and power, he tried everything there was to do on the face of the earth. And at the end of the life, at the end of Solomon's life, he, he wrote this. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is man's all. For God will bring every work into judgment, including every secret thing, whether good or evil. Now after Solomon dies, his son Rehoboam becomes king. And his works were not good. In fact, he was such a bad king that Israel ended up completely splitting over this guy. With the kingdom of Judah 
to the south and the kingdom of Israel to the north among the Samaritans. And Israel never did completely finish wiping the Canaanites out of that land. They desire to be like other nations cause them to take up the idols of those nations. And they turn their hearts away from God. And over and over again, they would reject God, they would come back to him and then reject him again. God sent them prophets like Elijah. And Elijah performed all kinds of miracles to prove that he was speaking from God and try to get them to repent and come back to God. When Elijah knew that his time was over, he prepared another prophet named Elisha to follow him. And in 2 Kings chapter 2 and verse 11, it says that it happened as they continued on and talked. But suddenly a chariot of fire appeared with horses of fire and separated the two of them. And Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. He never died. And then the prophet Elisha would perform twice as many miracles and signs as Elijah did. Then in 722... BC. Assyria captures the northern kingdom of Israel. And they deport all the people and scatter them around. And they were never a nation again. And during these days of Elisha, the commander of the Assyrian army got a disease. He became afflicted with leprosy. And leprosy is this real horrible, painful, terrible disease. And his name was Naaman. Now Naaman, commander of the army, it says in 2 Kings 5 and verse 1, commander of the army of Syria was a great and honorable man. He was also a mighty man of valor, but he was a leper. And this young girl from the land of Israel waited on Naaman's wife, and she said to her mistress, If only my master were with the prophet that's in Samaria, for he would heal him of his leprosy. Then Naaman went, to his, went with his horses and chariot, and he stood at the door of Elisha's house. And Elisha sent a messenger to him, saying, Go and wash in the Jordan seven times, and your flesh will be restored to you, and you will be clean. But Naaman became furious. And then away, saying, Indeed, I said to myself, He will surely come out and stand and call in the name of the Lord and wave his hand over me and this place and heal my leprosy. Are not the Abinah and Farfar rivers of Damascus are better than all the waters of Israel? Could not I wash them and be clean? So he turned away and went away in a rage. 
And then a servant came near him and spoke to him and said, My father, if the prophet had told you to do something great, would you not have done it? How much more then when he says to you, wash and be clean? So he went down and he dipped seven times in the Jordan, according to the saying of the man of the God, and his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. So once again we see the salvation is not in the power and wisdom of man, but in the power and the word of God. It's that faith in God's word. We just have to do what he says. So on the back, once again, where do we put known? Well, over here, he received the blessing of God when he did what he said. After turning away from God, this divided kingdom of Israel were conquered many, many times. And the northern kingdom became the Samaritans. It became Samurai, Samaria. And they were called the Samaritans, and in the lower kingdom they were called the Jews. And in 605 B.C., the Babylonians came and they conquered Judah as well and take them away captive. But even during this time of captivity in foreign lands, there were still people who followed God, people who tried and wanted and really sought to do what God wanted them to do. People like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego who were thrown into these flames of fire because they refused to bow down to a foreign idol. But the Son of God was with them and he brought them out of the flames. Not a hair on their body was singed. And there was the prophet Daniel who was thrown into a den of lions, this den of starving lions they threw him into, trying to kill him because they told him not to pray to God and he prayed to God anyway. But God shut the mouths of the lions and he walked out of the den alive. In 536 B.C., the Jews are allowed to return once again to Jerusalem. The Romans remembered what the city was like, and it was just never the same. They remained in bondage, ruled by other nations. But all the prophets told about a Savior that was coming. A Messiah who God was going to send to save his people. And the prophet Malachi wrote, 
that the before that day, before the day that this Messiah comes, someone they knew was coming back. In Malachi 4 and verse 5, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And he will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the earth with a curse. And then God was silent. The prophecies stopped for 400 years. And that's where we'll pick up this story next week. We're going to send an sing an invitation song now. And as you sing the song, think about your life. Think about the choices that you have made. If the Lord returned today, where would you be? Where on this chart would you be if He returned today? Think about this as we stand and sing.